Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security, and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Ennevar. I am Clive Ennevar, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Brenda Nekvatal about the four rules of understanding how your boss makes decisions. Brenda is a human resource professional and business consultant with over 20 years' experience. Among many others, she has worked in 500 businesses. Her clients refer to her as the HR force of nature. Hello, Brenda, and welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm absolutely top of the world. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks for having me on. That's an absolute pleasure. But our listeners would like to know, who is Brenda and where is she from? Oh, wow. So I'm actually just an HR professional. I've been doing this for a while. I've, like you said, I've worked for five Fortune 500 companies. By the time I left international payroll provider, I had consulted to over 380 small businesses. So I had an opportunity to see a lot of things done a lot of different ways. I'm over here in the East Coast of the United States over in Virginia. So I'm about four hours southeast of Washington, D.C. And it's our summer. So I'm sorry, it's a lot warmer here, Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) We'll forgive you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we share our four seasons through the year. Although, because I'm in Victoria in Australia, It's often said here that we can have four seasons in one day, and I have experienced (laughs) that. Yeah, we kind of get that too sometimes, but no. So I've been, let's see, I've lived out here for about 14 years now, and it's just, it's a pretty area. I really enjoy it. The people are great. They're really nice. There's down here in the U.S., when you're in south of the Mason-Dixon line, you get to experience that southern hospitality, which is quite notorious in this country. So they're very generous individuals down here. Oh, that's excellent. But you mentioned the Mason-Dixon line. Now, we've all heard about the Mason-Dixon line, but what the devil is the Mason-Dixon line? Oh, that's a good question. So the Mason-Dixon line actually was formed during the Civil War, and it was the line of delineation that during wartime actually separated the North from the South. And so the, the Southern states were the states that were attempting to succeed from the Union at the time. And so therefore, you know, there was a civil war, the South lost, and we are now the United States. Kind of always have been, but the Southern states were not recognized as individual sovereignty in our history. So we're now a collective union of 50 states and several territories. And we just keep the Mason-Dixon line just because it's handy. Well, it's quippy. <laughs> it's kind of a fun way to, to say the South. So, yeah, there's a lot of good people down here, though. And you've been in HR. Now, yes. HR has lots of different things that go on inside HR. What's your way of describing what HR is? So, the way I look at it is human resource is really a art and a science of finding a balance and a very delicate balance of doing what's in the best interest of the company, but then also doing what's in the best interest of the employees. And that's the ultimate goal. It doesn't always work that way. And that would be true for anywhere in any country, in any city, simply because sometimes 
the requirements to protect the company outweigh the needs to address and protect the employees. But conversely, there are a significant number of times where protecting the employee is number one. So that's why I say it's trying to find that delicate balance and trying to accomplish both things. And anybody who's worked in this industry and this field long enough knows that just because it's legal doesn't mean it's fair. And just, and that's a hard pill to swallow. And just because it's fair doesn't necessarily mean that it's legal. So again, there's that need to find that balance. So that way you're providing as much risk mitigation for the company, for the individuals, because there is individual liability tied, but then also trying to find something that is going to keep the employee continuously engaged and hopefully retain them with the organization. So it can be a bit of a balancing act, getting this legal thing and right thing working together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even more so a balance that when you've got, you know, all the wild emotions that come with it when you're dealing, just being in the human business, the emotions and the dynamics that come with it. I mean, it's just a constant balancing act to see. And sometimes you have great days, sometimes you don't. And is it getting better? It has its moments. (laughs) Right now. It's a crazy world for us over here. I mean, it's crazy everywhere in the United States. It is all over the world. It doesn't matter. It's not just here in the U.S. You know, with what's going on with the coronavirus, every country has its own challenges surrounding that. You know, everybody's trying to do their part to make sure that the economy stays afloat. The good news is that when this thing hit, the international economy was strong. Markets were strong. And so when markets are strong, business tends to muster on through it. It's the people that take a beating. I mean, because everybody's concerned about their welfare. They're concerned about, are they going to have a job? Are they going to be able to continue to get their unemployment if they have unemployment benefits right now? And are they going to stay healthy? There's a lot of conflicting information from one country to another. And here it's from one city to state to state. I mean, and then throw in a little bit of civil unrest that we've got going on. And, you know, you literally have just got a trifecta of, of unique circumstances that you have to deal with. And we just got to half of the year, Mark. So it's definitely an interesting time. And then we throw in brand new laws to help make sure that people are taken care of if they wind up getting furloughed or they have to stay at home because, you know, schools are closed or they don't have childcare or they do wind up getting the coronavirus and none of those laws have been litigated. And that's how we actually get our best practices out of what we can and can't do because the governments are great at saying, okay, here's the law. Now we'll figure out like how it's going to work but we're going to put it into place first. And so it, it makes it very interesting. It's like a living case study from hell sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very interesting. I agree that governments, they actually meant what they said or appeared to say. Yeah. So there's but, lots you know, of fun. The government. Mm, lots of fun in that. But you must have across 20 years have run into all manner of different things working in HR. Oh, yeah. And Of course, we don't want to talk about somebody who did something that was really rotten. What's a humorous you can think of across those years that made HR really interesting? I told this story not too long ago, and it was a situation (laughs) 
where I wasn't in an HR role at the time, but I was kind of the designated HR person. And a lot of my background is in retail and, you know, and that overlaps with my HR experience. And so I was in the, working in this, you know, big box organization and I was put into the worst store to help build it back up. And then eventually wound up moving over to the top store after that. And I had, you know, responsibilities amongst the district. So I had about 11 stores that I was working with in addition to the one that I was partially running. And so the general manager of the location that I was assigned to had a particular problem with a group of ladies. And I mean, it wasn't even oil and water. It was combustible oil and combustible water that were constantly mixed together. Every day it was some scrap and it was some fight. And I came in one day and I thought the day was going to go so well. And all of a sudden I just get an earful from the general manager about how terrible these women are. And four of them are coming up screaming in my other ear. And I finally said, everybody into the back room now. And nobody questioned me. Everybody walked in and I walked into the back and those that were working, I said, put everything away. And I want you guys to all line up against the back wall. Well, the back wall was completely covered with a line of mirrors. And then GM and I said, that means you too. You go over there too. So I had all of them. I had 12 of them lined right up along this back wall. And I'm like, I don't want to hear a single thing. Here's what you guys are going to do because I'm sick of this. Y'all are going to turn around and you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and you're going to smile at yourself for 15 seconds. Now, I know that they're not going to make it. And 15 seconds. And what they don't know that I know is that when you smile, it changes your brain chemistry. And all I wanted was a good day. And so I said, and everybody's looking at me like I have three heads and I'm like, just do it. And so they all turned and they did. And they cracked up in five seconds. And I'm like, don't turn away. And I made them continue to look in the mirror for at least 10 seconds. Nobody could hold it any. Everybody was laughing. And I'm like, okay, look, here's the deal. You guys are now in a better position. Talk through your problems. This is the perfect opportunity to work through them. I don't want to come back here and do this again. I'm out of here. And I walked out through the door and people were just, everybody had a fantastic day. Everybody in that room had a fantastic day. So that was probably one of the better moments that I've had in HR when, and it worked. Does that suggest, Brenda, that most of the problems we have with other people are actually our own? Yeah. I mean, you know, because we all come from a really unique place in life. So we all have our worldview. You know, we all have different ways that we were influenced growing up. We have different beliefs, different morals. We interpret things differently. You know, if you look at the word teamwork, I mean, that literally means something different to everybody. And if you were to ask anybody, like if you go into a room of people and you ask everybody, what's the one thing that is the most important to you when it comes to teamwork? Everybody will have a different one word answer. So when a company comes back and says, well, you know, bosses, well, we need more teamwork. It's like, well, what the hell does that mean? Because it's different to everybody because everybody has a different worldview about it because it means something different to somebody else. So that's the piece about human resources is that it really is the human dynamics that are involved on top of, you know, development side of it, the fun stuff, and then also the compliance side of it as well. You have to constantly work through and navigate the dynamics of people in order to effectively manage that human capital and what you get out of it. And that is exhausting sometimes. 
quite. <laughs> now, of course, we're talking today about the four rules of understanding how your boss yeah. makes decisions. Now, that title suggests that the boss makes decisions differently to other people. Is that how it works? A little bit. So I wrote a book. It's right here. It's called Holy Cow, I Have to Talk to My Boss. It's a short, fun book. You can find it up on Amazon.com. And I based it off of a lot of experiences that I had working with one of my favorite mentors of all time. We still talk to each other. His name is Tom. I sent him a copy of the book. I said, what did you think? And he says, oh my God, I'm mortified. Did I actually say those things? And I said, yes, you did. It was, the, it was great. And Tom's a really good man. But it really talks, it really is around building a positive working relationship with your boss. And you have to understand how bosses think because bosses don't think like you. Like the first rule ever is that a boss will have more problems than you do. Guaranteed. They have the problems of every employee. They have the problems of their vendors, their clients, their customers, the board members, stockholders, shareholders, right? And if they have a wife who's on the board of director, multiply that times 12. And it's just, you know, that's the way it works. So, you know, they are dealing with more problems than you will experience in a day. Or matter of fact, they deal with more problems in a day than you will likely experience in a week, a month, or a year. And that's their job. Their job is to deal with that. So when people are coming to a boss with a complaint or a piece of frustration, then all what happens is that you that voice falls into this fray. And unless you can recognize and raise your voice, not volume-wise, but in your communication, raise yourself above that white noise of nothing but problems, your boss is only going to hear you through a specific filter. And that comes from, against, again, worldview. But he's coming from this perspective of, great, I got one more problem that I have to deal with. And bosses make their decisions around money. And that's rule number two. They will always make their decisions around money. They're constantly thinking of return on investment. If I'm going to throw my weight into the full backing of my weight into whatever it is that you're requesting, is this going to help us sell more widgets? Is this going to provide a stronger rate of return on investment? Is this going to cost me a lot of money and I'm not going to get anything back? In other words, there's got to be that mutual exchange that resonates with the goals and the mission and the direction of what you know the boss is, is moving in towards. And that's at any level. Experienced bosses are like that. So, so that really is the second rule. And then the third rule is, is that if you aren't addressing rule number one, which means that bosses have more problems than you do, rule number two, that bosses always center their decisions around money, then you're not part of the solution you're adding a new problem or you just simply don't understand the problem. And what quickly comes after that is rule number four, that you won't be the boss's problem for very long. <laughs> they'll, just, they'll resolve it in some way or another. So when you keep those four things in mind, if you don't understand the problem, you're not going to be much of a problem. They're just switch you off or they're just not going to give you the backing that you need, or if you are a problem, they will handle it. They'll actually call me into the office and then we'll handle it with them. But if you really want to be seen as somebody of value to your boss and somebody that where you can make a contribution, then you've got to open your aperture up 
and you have to adjust your approach. You have to be able to pull together a sound business proposition. And it's one that can't be based off of emotion. It has to be based off of whether or not this is going to meet the company's number one business objectives. So if we want to be a good employee, the very first thing we build in is what is the objective of the business? Exactly. Exactly. And from there, we might be able to put in place things that could help the business, even if we find things that aren't helping at the moment. Exactly. And the last thing that bosses want to do is inflict more work. They really don't want that. They want results. They want things to happen. They want people to do the jobs that they're hired to do. And that was the, one of the greatest things that I loved working with Tom is that we worked for a national auto, ship dealer, auto dealership and sold used cars across the United States. And Tom was awesome because people always had really great ideas. It was a very engaged team. For, and at the time, we had over 215, 218 people working in one location and highly, highly engaged group of people. You know, we encouraged people to come forward with their suggestions and recommendations. And a lot of people did. And Tom's number one question to them, especially when you recognize that it was a good idea, but may not necessarily be in line with the direction of the company. He would always ask them one very important question. Is this going to help us sell more cars? And he's a smart guy and he knows that good ideas also mean more work. And if more work doesn't equate to selling more cars, which is the number one business objective or return on investment, then it's just simply more work. And of course, it is not going to happen. Well, that's the thing. That's where leadership kicks in. Because if it's just simply more work and the leader says, okay, then that's not a really strong good business decision. Now you're paying somebody to do stuff that doesn't really produce, right? But if a strong leader recognizes that what this recommendation is can help you sell more of X or whatever the objective is, then that's a great thing to put the full weight of the boss behind. Then it starts making sense. But people, when they approach, they don't look at it that way. Funny how we look at things from only one point of view most of the time, Brenda. How do we encourage people to Take a business more successful, I'll be better off. I think it really comes down to empathy, really. I mean, not empathy for individual, but taking that moment, like I said, opening the aperture, taking a step back and really thinking through it, just saying, I know this is a really great idea and I want to pitch it, but I'm not 100% sure if it's going to be well received. Well, You know, you could always find somebody else in the business who understands how the boss thinks and bounce it off of them and partner off and say, hey, listen, I have this really great idea. I want to pitch this. What do you think? And they might give you some really great feedback. It could be somebody who's in a mid-level management position or, if you know, the boss is mid-level, you know, find somebody in between or find somebody that works very closely with that person. More than likely, they're going to want to listen and say, yeah, you know what, that actually is a really good idea. Or, hey, listen, I've got an inside bead on what's going on with this. I think if you tweak it this way, you might get you know, better results. The one thing that bosses don't want are people to just come to them and be a complaint. If that happens, you're going to bounce right to rule number four real quick. <laughs> you don't want to be a walking complaint to the boss. It doesn't go over very well at all. So 
we've talked about fun situations you found yourself in. Mm-hmm. What is something that was really tricky that you had to work your way through? And can you give us an insight of how you actually came out of it with a good result? So are you talking about from a personal experience or like an HR experience? Whichever one takes your fancy because we want to know everything about Brenda. Okay, well, I'll do the HR experience because that's a little bit more exciting. So this happened about five years ago. I was in a meeting and my phone just started blowing up, constantly ringing. And I had to, I was with a client and I said, I apologize. I, apparently I need to take this because my phone never rings like this. And sure enough, it was another client who called and they had informed me that one of their employees had physically threatened stabbing another employee. And I said, okay, so here's what you do. And they had a senior HR person who never handled anything like that. She's a really, really great lady. Everybody was dialed in. I had her and the CEO on the company. And I said, here's what you do. First and foremost, you control the environment. There was three buildings where this whole thing took place. And it was really interesting because I referred to them as the instigator and the offender. And it all started at the time clock. I mean, Nobody had punched in and it already started at the time clock. So the instigator and the offender worked in two separate buildings, but they had to punch in at another building. So they punched in, they moved over to the offender's building first, and then they both somehow managed to go over to the instigator's building and found themselves back over the offender's building. So long story short, the offender, the instigator was just kind of ragging on this guy And the offender finally said, look, if you don't lay off of me, you're going to slice your throat from ear to ear. And he grabbed a utility knife off the counter. And that was enough to set everybody who was in earshot off on this. So all of a sudden, everybody's coming in, you know, such a, you know, this guy, I don't remember his name, is going to cut the guy. And I said, here's what you do. You keep those two guys separated. You keep the instigator in one room. You call the police and you have the offender professionally removed. And what I didn't know at the time is that the offender actually was a former police officer for a short period of time. Nobody's a police officer for a short period of time unless there is a reason for you to be a short timer on the force. There's always usually some behavior or something or some issue that happens because there's a lot that goes into actually becoming an officer. So, you know, so that means that he was trained in combatants and it meant that he understood how these things work. So five cop cars come screaming in, they go ahead and professionally remove him. And in the meantime, I had the senior HR person and the VP of the manufacturing out on the floor doing one-to-one investigations and talking to all these witnesses and getting statements and things like that. I told the CEO, I said, I don't want you anywhere near this. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah, you've got two capable people on the floor that can handle the environment and you let your HR person do it. That's their job. You and I need to sit and talk about what's going to happen next. And we talked about what needs to be communicated, how it needs to be communicated, what kind of external damage control could potentially need to take place, how it impacts vendors, how it impacts delivery, all of this stuff, right? And not to mention, they're a federal contractor and they actually produce technology for the intelligence community here in the United States. So if any of those agencies had caught on to what was going on and realized that there was 
you know, violence in the workplace of one of their contractors, they could potentially lose their contract. So there was a lot riding on how to handle this particular situation. And believe it or not, this is a short version. So I got on the line with the employee assistance program. I'm enjoying which, it. Keep going. Oh, good. <laughs> so I got on the line with the employee assistance program and I had a conversation with them about what was going on. The CEO and I agreed that we needed to have a clinician on site first thing Monday morning. So this took place on a Friday morning and we decided that it was best to have a clinician available. So in case anybody had any concerns about returning to work or they were you know, fearful that we had somebody on site who was trained to be able to handle that situation. And so she did for about four hours. Afterwards, she and I talked and I said, so how did it go? Because I was curious to see if anybody you know, took advantage. She goes, well, I actually talked to five people and they had a compliment of like 125, 130 employees at the time. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, so what'd you guys talk about? She goes, well, nobody talked about you know, not feeling safe. And I said, oh, what are they talking about? She goes, everybody wanted to know why the lunch schedules were so messed up. And I said, okay, well, we'll fix that too while we're at it. You know, so, <laughs> hey, apparently it was a problem big enough for five people to come forward to a, you know, a psychological clinician to have that conversation. So we addressed it the same week, but, <laughs> you know, and the owner of the company, when the police had shown up, he was furious, absolutely furious that we called the cops on him. And he started chewing us out. And he's like, you know, you should have come told me and I would have taken care of it. And I told I barked right back at him. I said, you would have been the first one stabbed because that's how this happens. And he just took a step back. And I said, you would have had a very short trip down a long road. I said, you know, let's not go there. So the offender was terminated. The instigator was disciplined. And lesson learned across the company. But the best part about it is that even though it was an 18-hour day, it was one of the most exhaustive days I spent in the field for a long time. But the best part about it was is that nobody lost their life. Nobody got hurt. Everybody in the company really truly saw that the organization was not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. Everybody did feel clearly they felt safe. And, you know, life went on. We handled it, and within 48 business hours, it was past deal. So I would say that that is a success story right there. It was a very stressful success story, but nonetheless, it was a good one. And I like the importance, of course, of setting rules and boundaries and expectations. Yeah, and holding people to them. Yes, the biggest thing, of course, was a group of people. Everybody's got to... If we're not on the same songbook, it's going to get messy. Yeah, exactly. So as we're coming towards the end of our conversation, Brenda, for the benefit of those who weren't quick enough to get the pen and paper to jot down the four most important points. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) You want me to go through them one more time? Briefly give us again those four points so that we can make sure that we're all going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. So rule number one, bosses have more problems to solve than you do. Guaranteed. Rule number two is that bosses always make decisions that are centered around money. Rule number three is that if you don't understand rule number one and rule number two, that means that you are not part of the solution. You're part of the problem 
you're adding a problem or you don't understand the problem. And then rule number four is that you will not be the boss's problem for very long. I like it. (laughs) Before we let you go, Brenda, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Oh, this has become my number one live and die rule of life in general, and it's everything. And I learned this from a former boss of mine, and it was funny because I heard him say it all the time, but very few people actually latched onto this. And that is in the absence of information, people make stuff up. They really do. Human beings do not like ambiguity. We don't like not having a reason why something is. And if you don't believe me, just watch a 22-year-old female date and you will totally understand it <laughs> because you will hear every, every justification of why he didn't call back. You know, he's dying in a ditch somewhere on the side of the road. You will hear every reason in the book. And I am guilty of it too at that age, but I'm telling you, that's just a really great example. When people don't understand why something is, we have to create a story to plug in so that way we have some level of comfort on it. What that ultimately does is that it leads to conflict. It leads to limiting self-beliefs. It leads to not having a clear expectation of what's going on or a clear understanding of it. Or it leads to a lot of runaway thoughts that just really aren't productive. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here in our country, too, is that people are just making stuff up because, well, there's a lot of conspiracy theories and I'm not even going to go down that road. But everybody has their version of what is going on and why. And it comes from their worldview, but it also comes from not understanding or not really recognizing or you know, embracing, let's have a conversation and have a better understanding of what's really the issue. And, you know, that's a pretty massive example of it. But even when it's just between two people and, you know, dealing with conflict at work, that is a number one, my number one live and die rule. And you know what? I even still get sucked into it, even though I abide by it daily. It's just who we are. I like it. It's a good rule. (laughs) But what is the top piece of advice you would like to leave listeners with today, Brenda? Oh, I would say, you know what? Everybody just hang in there. This has got to be one of the roughest years in my adult life I've ever witnessed. You know, I don't even remember things being this hard when I was a kid. You know, back I'm a product of the 70s and the 80s. And just keep taking care of yourself. That's really all you can do. Just do the best that you can for yourself because when you take care of yourself, you're capable of taking care of everything and anything that comes your way. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of anything else or anybody else that depends on you. We can't solve the world's problems as individuals, but so long as we continue to do good in the world and look after our own best interests and be reasonable and responsible about it, you know, we'll get through it. We'll get through it even if we screw that up. But it's just right now, everybody's on a long road to hoe. (laughs) It just really is. So hang in there and just keep doing good. Keep focusing in on taking care of what you need to take care of because the only thing you can control is yourself. Some of us might have difficulty with that, Brenda. Yeah, well, that's why I have job security. Most importantly, Brenda, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? 
Absolutely. So you can find me on my website at bestpractices.work and use a whole bunch of really great information. You can tap in and listen to the podcast. I've actually, believe it or not, I've got an audience here in Australia. There's a lot of really good takeaways that HR pros down here in Australia dig into in the show. You can find me on a lot of different social channels. You can find me over on LinkedIn if you want to connect professionally. And you just do that by my last name. It's Brenda Neckbottle. And that's N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. You can find me on Instagram as Brenda the HR Lady. And that's where I kind of post what I'm up to. Um, There's also best practices in HR on Instagram and over on Facebook as well. I also have a YouTube channel you can find by my name. And then I do a weekly live show with another HR professional whose moniker is the evil HR lady. And she writes for Inc. Magazine, Inc.com. She's pretty awesome. We stream that every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And that's called The Real HR Show. So it's HR through and through. Totally. 100%. With a little business mixed in. (laughs) Very good. Brenda, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much again for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au. 